church leadership. Is the Bible clear about it? Or are we free to govern the church in whatever way seems best to us? Are we free to kind of wrap as much bubble wrap around ourselves as possible and create church leadership structures that, are, that seem to be, by our wisdom and by our imagination, the most safe environment for us? Maybe it's possible to actually prescribe to us. Maybe we experience some things. Maybe it's possible that, we, that you have experienced some things, that I have experienced some things, that although we're labeled correctly, biblically, we're done anti-biblically. And maybe it's not just the terms that are wrong that bring up all this stuff. Maybe it was the way that those people in the past have used their power in the wrong way, and that's what needs to be corrected or avoided. But there's a lot of things for us to try to figure out. Let's take a look. So first, we see a problem in Israel. In Ezekiel 34, Mallory just read it. God begins to speak to some bad shepherds. The leaders in Israel were doing very badly at their job. And God was not tolerating it. And He spoke to them. And He began to tell them all the things that they were doing. And first, the thing that's interesting to me is that God speaks to them as shepherds. Shepherding, blue-collar work, blue-collar work is never popular work. But if you're going to lead God's people, you don't get a title CEO. If you're going to lead God's people, you're going to be looked at and you're going to be called to be considered a blue-collar worker, shepherd. You're going to be out in the field with sheep. And being in the field with sheep means you're going to work with your hands. It means you're going to protect the sheep from wolves. It means you're going to have to stay up and stay alert. It means you're going to have some time to pray. It's going to have some time to kind of look out and scan and, and make sure things are going on. You're going to have some time by yourself. You're going to have to figure some things out. But you're not going to be able to be a, a CEO. This is not white-collar work. If you're going to lead God's people, it's going to be messy. God's leaders don't, be get to, don't get to be called CEOs. They're shepherds. They're shepherds. And the shepherds of Israel were being very bad. They were just simply behaving badly. They were not feeding the sheep. They were using the sheep. They didn't care or love for the sheep. They wanted to be around the sheep in so much as the sheep make them look good. So God's people became a tool for these bad shepherds to feel better about themselves, to get money, to get prestige, to get power. And they used what they got from these people not to take care of the people, but to harm the people. This is what bad shepherds were doing. They did not go out looking for the missing sheep, the wandering sheep in Israel. Not everybody amongst Israel believed in faith in the coming Messiah. In the Old Testament, there was intertestamental evangelism that had to happen. The promise of the New Covenant is that all the people in Christ will know Christ. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were people amongst God's people who believed in God. And they believed in the coming Messiah. That was the true Israel. And then there were those within people the, under the banner of the nation of Israel who didn't believe in the coming Messiah. They were just ethnically Israel. And so there were people within Israel that they had to evangelize. The people of God had to be evangelized to believe in the Messiah. And here we see that they didn't go look, looking for the wandering sheep. These bad leaders didn't care. Go off, do your own thing, doesn't matter to me. I don't care if we ever see you again. They fed themselves. They didn't protect the sheep from wild beasts. So God was against the shepherds. 
And God, in fact, was going to do something about it. He witnessed his sheep being mistreated. And he said, I'm going to step in and do something about it. And verse 10 ends in this way. Verse 10 says, no longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they will not be food for them. No longer are these bad shepherds going to be chomping on and eating my people. I will rescue them from the mouths of these bad shepherds. God will step in. God will do something about it. He's gracious enough not to leave the eternal care of the sheep in the hands of bad leaders. Now, I, for one, am thankful for that. God is going to do something about it. It goes on, verse 11 through 16 says this. Look with me if you have to turn the page or just keep reading down in just the verse below, starting in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will seek and search for my sheep. I will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places from where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them in to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be the grazing land. There they will lie down in the good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So God doesn't only call out these bad leaders. He tells them, I'm going to do something about this. You're not going to be shepherdless. God's people, you're not on your own. I'm going to do something about it. God will do this work. He will search and seek and find the sheep. I will rescue them. I will feed them. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I will make them lie down. I will take care of them. But is this the only place the Bible speaks like this? Is there intertestimonial, intertestamental continuity here? Is this ringing any bells as we talk about the shepherd and the sheep? And we went through, just, just went through the Gospel of John. We just went through the Gospel of John and we... Several months ago, we're in John chapter 10, where Jesus says some things about this. And we see the dots being connected from the old to the new. This is God's plan and His activity. God is actually doing something here. It's not random. I want you to flip to John chapter 10. And I want you to see Jesus, the good shepherd of the sheep. I'll give you time. John chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 14 to 18. And we're going to see that Jesus is the good shepherd and from this point forward, we're going to start to piece together what does church leadership look like. For the big C church, like the church of every, like the invisible church, meaning every born-again person throughout this globe. What is Jesus for them? What is the church leadership? And then for every local assembly, us, what, how are we supposed to function? What's the leadership structure supposed to be? And we're going to see something very comforting here in John 10. Look at verse 14 through 18. 
I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay, my, lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, keep in mind, remember, God was saying, I'll come and I'll rescue them. I'll go out and seek and find them. And here is Jesus. I've got sheep that are not of this fold beyond the Jewish people. I've got people out, Gentiles, that are mine. I'm going to seek them out. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I will bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. That's important. There will be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 17, for, the re for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd doing for God's people what God's leaders weren't doing for them in the Old Testament. Doing for them what nobody else can do for them. Jesus steps in and says, I will do it. I will rescue them. I will save them from all the people that are trying to eat them and devour them and use them. I will come and actually give my life for them rather than asking them to give their life for me. I will give my life for them. It's fascinating. Jesus lays his life down for the sheep. He loves the sheep so much that he died to save them. He died to save them. Other sheep, not of this fold, he's going to bring two. One shepherd, one church, one shepherd. It leads us to the first point. Jesus is the chief shepherd and lead pastor of the church. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. On the org chart of every local church and of the Big C Church Global, here is King Jesus, lead pastor. He is the pastor of his church. The chief shepherd. That's the big idea. He is the lead pastor of every church and our church. Now, let me ask you this. When you begin to think through other leadership structures you've experienced in the past, if that really will hit home in your soul, Jesus is my lead pastor. Let me ask you, does that comfort you? The fact that Jesus is your pastor That the pastoring work for your eternal soul will not be outsourced. He is intimately involved in your life. He personally taking care of you, leading you. That's the big idea. The org chart starts with Jesus. He seeks us out. He binds our wounds. He brings us in. He takes care of our enemies. He gives us our mission and our purpose. He gives us leadership. He tells us what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. He is the lead pastor of the church in every local church. And it should bring us great hope to know how kind he is to come in and say, I will lead my people. I will take care of them. When it comes to taking care of his bride, the church, Jesus stepped in and he said, I got this. I've got it. You're mine, and I will take care of you. 
But that's not all. There's more grace. As we'll see in a little, little bit, because of this, and this may seem controversial, it shouldn't. There is no church that gets to determine their own vision. None. Visionary ideas are popular in our day with business and businesses and business models and structures and churches, in fact, get involved with this. What's your vision? Who are you going to reach? Where are you going to go? We don't get to determine that. Jesus has determined that for us. He has told us our mission, the world. He has given us our commission. He has told us the purpose of every one of your lives and every local assembly's purpose. And it's the same thing. The Great Commission, the Great Commandment. We don't get to opt out of that and come out of this thing and just come up, come up with our own. I am not your visionary. We have a pretty good visionary in Jesus. You don't need me in that way. Nor do you need any of our elders in that way. Because Jesus is leading his church and he has told us, it's in the book, what we're to be about. Go into all the world. Okay, here's the plan, Christ Church. It's not, it's not individual to you. It's just like every other assembly in this whole globe. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm not going to leave you alone. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There's your vision. He is our lead pastor. He has told us what we're to do. That is the mission of the church. We are not free to come up with a new mission. So point number one in the org chart, Jesus is the lead pastor. He is our lead pastor. But there's more grace. Jesus also gives the church representative under shepherds. Under shepherds. So Jesus, the chief shepherd, the chief pastor, also gives us commissions under shepherds. Jesus told Peter to feed and to tend the lambs and the sheep. So Jesus, as lead pastor, calls others into the work to shepherd and care for God's flock in a similar way that Jesus shepherds and cares for God's flock. This is when we get into talking about elders, pastors. The words mean the same. They're interchangeable. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 20. Just flip over one book and find chapter 20. And in the Bible, sometimes this can be confusing, and we're going to see two of these words here in a second. What the Bible describes, uh, look at all those leaves coming down. Sorry, just look at that. Look at all those leaves coming down right now. Isn't that neat? We, we were driving here this morning, the, the leaves on Dillinger were just coming down. It looked like a hurricane of leaves. And what Ransom call it? A leaves tunnel of doom or something like that? Tunnel of doom. Meemaw and Papu's, there's a tunnel of doom with evil monkeys. So Dennis and the grandkids drive through and they, they on the golf cart and they got to avoid the evil monkeys. So uh, the tunnel of doom. So there's a tunnel of doom on Dillinger full of leaves. But, but isn't that pretty? Don't you love the seasons? It's just beautiful. We did the, the bald knob cross, cross uh, foliage drive yesterday. And it's just so, God, God in his kindness, he didn't have to do that. I mean, he didn't have to make things aesthetically pleasing to our eye. I mean, he didn't have to. And in a broken, fallen world, his kindness is still on display that even non-believers get to go and look at that and say, that's amazing. Isn't God kind? That's <laughs> just amazing. Okay, where was I? Backtrack, rewind. Acts 20. Okay. Uh, in the Bible, there's two offices, or three offices of the local church. church. There's elder, 
deacon, church member. Elder, deacon, church member. And everybody has delegated authority. Pastor, deacon, church member. And it's unique and it's different. But we're going to see here in a second two words that are interchangeable. Elder and overseer. So the elders of Ephesus are going to come out. And then later in the chapter they're called overseers. And then in 1 Timothy 3 we're going to see overseers. So elder, overseer, pastor, bishop, presbyter. They're all the same thing. It's all the exact same office in the New Testament. They're interchangeable. It's talking about the same thing. And we're going to see this. In Ephesus, there is a plurality of pastors. They're not a single pastor. In fact, there's no New Testament church that has only one under-shepherd. There's not a single New Testament church. Jesus is the lead pastor, and then every local church has a plurality of pastors. And it's every single church. There's not a single example of one pastor led, uh, just a, a church led by one pastor and a bunch of deacons. And our own denomination is structured like that for years, and it is unbiblical, clearly. And so we're going to see this, I think, very clearly. I'm going to move this because there could be a, you guys don't see this over there, this angle, and you guys do. So if I fall on this, you would know exactly what's going on, and you guys would be completely in the dark. So I'm just going to move this so I don't trip over that. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to look at first, verse 17 and 18, and then we're going to take a little bit of a sidebar and talk about what some people called fivefold ministry. And uh, then we're going to look at verse 28 and 30. Um, so let's start in 17 and 18. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, this sets the stage. Paul is about to address the church elders of the church in Ephesus. Okay, it's, You just see it. The church in Ephesus has elders, plural, and they're coming to talk to the Apostle Paul. And they're going to have a moment. This is going to be the last conversation that they have in this lifetime. Paul and this, these group of elders, they cry together, they weep, they have memories together, and they share it all right here in Acts chapter 20. It's, it's really interesting. They weep together. I mean, they love one another. Paul shared his very life with them. But there's a plurality of leaders called elders that are brought to Paul. And they're also, in verse 28, called overseers. So there you see those two words combined. So they're called elders in verse 17, but in 28 they're called overseers. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Overseers is the exact same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1 to talk about elders. Okay, so overseer, elder, it's clearly interchangeable. They're the same office. But what about, Kurt and I talked about this, and we have some differences of opinion on it, uh, about five-fold ministry. Uh, have you ever heard this language? Some of you may, if you've been in more charismatic church churches before, you've heard about five-fold ministry before. And the idea of five-fold ministry comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. And the idea is that the list that's given in Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 it should be the five offices of the New Testament church. The five offices of the New Testament church. And here's what that verse says. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Okay? Now, the question in this, and for more charismatic circles, of which I consider myself to be in, uh, not to freak anybody out in here if you're nervous about that, but... Um, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, some in the charismatic circle want to say those are offices of the New Testament church. That's how the church should be governed. Okay, This is the, how the governing system of the local church should work. 
So they believe that that teaches that these offices, the offices of the New Testament church, aren't elder, deacon, member, but are, prop, are, are, are apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. So five offices rather than three offices. However, in Acts chapter 20, when we find out who's leading the church in Ephesus, there's no mention whatsoever of any of these offices. Because elders were leading the church in Ephesus. Ephesus had leaders called for them, and it wasn't the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. It was the elders, because elders were governing the church at Ephesus. Timothy was an elder at Ephesus. First Timothy, or in 1 Timothy, Paul and 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy as a pastor elder in Ephesus. And when the qualifications are given for elders... It's given to the church in Ephesus and then for all of us. And so who was leading the church in Ephesus? Elders. That's what we see. Therefore, a plurality of elders leads the church, was leading the church in Ephesus. So then Ephesians 4.11 is teaching us, I think, about plurality of gifting, not plurality of offices. Plurality of gifting, not plurality of offices. Meaning, an, a healthy leadership team, a healthy elder plurality, shouldn't be the exact same types of leaders. They should be gifted in unique ways to lead the church. And it may take time, as in our case, for God to build that into the most healthy and robust leadership team, elder team, that it can possibly be. So there's a plurality of, not offices, but giftings that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12 talks about. That's just a sidebar that can equip you. If you ever hear the language that pops up, fivefold ministry, you can kind of know where that's coming from. And then you can kind of, if, if you want to get into a healthy discussion that isn't a debate and isn't a fight, to be able to say, you know what, have you considered Acts chapter 20? Let's think through this together. So that's a sidebar. Now back to chapter 20, verse 28 to 30. Verse 28 to 30. The Holy Spirit, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things that draw many disciples away after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish every one of you with tears. Now, I love this. And I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. This is another sidebar caveat. You know what elders need to be strengthened? God and his grace. I commend you to God and his grace. Isn't that I love it. It's just so good. Okay, let's back up and let's consider this together. So now we have Jesus as lead pastor of the church and every local assembly. And now here we have this thing that the Holy Spirit's doing and making overseers to care for, notice, care for, not to misuse, not to devour, not to, uh, not to harm in any way, but to care for the flock that was purchased by the very blood of Jesus. Jesus, with his blood, purchased people for God, and the Holy Spirit is giving these under-shepherds to care for this group that he purchased. So you have Jesus, the lead pastor, and then a group of overseers that come alongside and share in responsibility to care for the sheep. 
He said, the Holy Spirit's done this. And then he says to them, careful attention to yourselves. Pay careful attention to the flock. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's given you this responsibility. I love this. We see this plural leadership. Again, you see it here in Ephesus. It didn't say, call the pastor or the elder, like the elder of the church at Ephesus, but the elders, plural. And what's so comforting to me about this, the kindness of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit and the design of God the Father, is that the way church leadership has been set up, it's set up in such a way that no one is excluded from having a pastor. Since pastors are plural, it means that pastors get pastors. It means that my family doesn't get excluded from being shepherded by elders, other elders here at this local church. There isn't a hierarchy structure that says there's the lead pastor who's really, 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 and although there are unique giftings and there is a distinction in 1 Timothy chapter 5 of those who labor in preaching and teaching, it's the same office. It's the same office. And so I don't get to look at the other elders of this church and look at you guys and say, I'm your shepherd and you guys don't know how to take care of me and my family. The pastors get pastors. This is the kindness of God. Paul gives warning to these pastors. There's wolves coming. And it's not just in the form of church members. It's not just in the form of things that you may or may not see on TV. It's not just in the form of other weird churches in the community. Elders be warned, there are wolves coming from among you. And there are going to be people that are raised up in leadership in church. And they're going to be looked at as having spiritual authority. They're going to even get the title elder. But they're actually wolves. This is what Paul tells him. People are, other people are going to look at him and, and say, oh, that's a pastor elder. Yes, ooh, they got a lot of wisdom. Oh, that person, that, that preacher, he's got insight that nobody else has. Paul says, beware, because they're going to get titles. And they're going to get a following. And they're going to pe be people that recognize their authority. But they're wolves. And they're going to use and misuse the sheep, just like the shepherd's den in Ezekiel 34. People become pawns for men like that and women like that leadership. They become pawns to get that leader, that particular leader, what that leader wants. And it's masked in spiritual language. So Paul gives them a warning. They're coming. How are they going to come? Well, they're going to come through false teaching. Well, this explains why there's so much pain in local churches. This point right here explains why there is so much pain in local churches. Because when you have right position, elder, but the wrong person, right position plus wrong person, you know what that equals? Hurt sheep. Right position plus wrong leader, wrong person equals hurt sheep. It's an equation that is 100% true. Right position plus wrong leader equals hurt sheep. The goal is the opposite of that. Is right position, right person equals cared for sheep. Loved sheep, protected sheep, fought for sheep. But when you get the wrong person, right position, wrong person, you get hurt sheep. 
Therefore, the responsibility of the overseers of any local assembly, just like in Ephesus, it's the same for us, is to gather people not around ourselves, but right leadership, right under-shepherding looks like not gathering people around ourselves. Hey, we've got it. We've got it. We know where it's at. We're not like all those other churches. Those other churches, all those other churches, they just don't get it. But we, we got it going on. Oh, no. We're messed up. I'm messed up. That's why I so desperately need Jesus. And that's why Andy and Hank, our elders, our leaders here, we desperately need Jesus. Right, good, healthy leadership looks like this. Follow me as I follow Christ. Not follow me, period. Follow me as I follow Christ. We're going to Jesus together here. That's what we're doing. So right leaders plus right, right office put light, right leaders equals cared for, cared for sheep. Again, this is the kindness of Jesus. Everybody in the church has Jesus as their lead pastor and then local under shepherds to come alongside and care for them and to gather them around Jesus. So why does this so often go wrong? Why does it so often go wrong? Well, because we don't take 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 seriously. You don't know how many pastors I've asked over the years, where in the Bible is the qualifications to be an elder? And as an elder, they look at me and say, I think it may be in the 1 and 2 Timothy or Titus. It doesn't matter to them at all. There's a problem with that. 1 Timothy 3. So how do we get to a place where there's so many un- qualified elders. How can we know what a true elder is? How can we know? 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Go ahead and turn there, and this will be the last passage that we look at this morning. 1 Timothy 3. And I hope this is helpful for you. We wanted to relook at this just to um, kind of do some things that are reminders about uh, uh, why we function the way we function, and also let you know the resources that are available to you as under-shepherds here. Like, how does the relationship that we have back and forth work? You know, back in the day, and still yet in older traditional churches, uh, to be a pastor there means to make a lot of home visits and make a lot of hospital visits. That was a typical thing in, with older congregations. With younger people, and I've noticed this even now as we have babies, it's kind of like, I don't want to see anybody for, you know, 24 to 48, 48 hours. And the last person they want to see is me skipping on into a hospital room. And what I've noticed is, is there's a little bit different perspective. But I think some of the little bit different perspective may be is that this has not been taught. It's not been taught what the relationship is with elders, or these under shepherds in the local church. So these resources that are available, what we are to be for you and to you, churches just don't know. They just don't know. What is my pastor supposed to do? What are my pastors supposed to do and be? How, what's their character supposed to be like? They just don't know. So I don't want us to be misinformed. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Can we know what a true elder is? What is the character of an overseer? 1 Timothy chapter 3. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, 
not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Well, there's a lot here. Let's break it down and let's make it as simple as we can and understandable and as palpable as we possibly can in the best and right way we can. First, the first requirement. What what is an elder? What is an elder supposed to be? Well, the first requirement is that there is a healthy aspiration for the office. Now, you can have an unhealthy and healthy aspiration for almost anything. An unhealthy aspiration for leadership in the church or in the business world or anywhere is an aspiration to lead for personal credibility or gain, for personal gain. You want to be respected? You want power? You want to be able to pull the levers of control? Or this position gives you ego, it builds your ego. So if I, if I would be that, then I would feel significant. If I would attain this, I would finally feel like a person who's made it in this world. Other people would respect me. That's wrong aspiration for leadership. But apparently, to be an elder requires aspiring to the task. And then when you hear about the task, I think this, this aspiration should be a humble aspiration. Since God is calling me into this work, my character should align here with this. And I'm going to consider it a high and holy calling. And I'm not going to walk into this thing as if I'm the point. So the first requirement is a healthy and holy aspiration for this noble call. A healthy desire to care for God's people. Not to use God's people, but to look at God's people and say, I love you and I'm willing to take responsibility for you. I love you and I'm willing to lay my life down for you. I love you and I'm willing to put my shoulder, my arm around your shoulder and say, will you come again to Jesus with me? That is the first requirement. Notice that he desires a noble task. We said this a couple weeks ago with with Hank. Uh, There's not many things in this world that are called noble, but God calls this noble. There's a nobility to this. And inherent within this, within these qualifications, if there are prerequisites to the call of being an elder, then it would, re- it would seem to imply that these prerequisites carry an even greater nobility. This is where pastors a lot of times get in trouble, and elders. They think that being an elder is more noble than being a husband, or like a Christian, or a husband, or a father. And there is greater nobility in being a Christian, a husband, and a father than there is the call of ministry. A lot greater. You can't manage your own household according to this passage. You can't, be, you can't shepherd God, God's church. But after all those things, this still is a call that God says this is noble. To want to lay your life down, to serve, to take responsibility, and to care for God's people. There's a nobility in it. He says in this passage, he desires a noble task. And when this is understood rightly, it's not controversial at all. And I've said this on multiple occasions, I'll say it again. Gender equality is so wildly offensive Because it looks at men and women and calls them the same. I've said this over and over again. I want to keep doing it because we just keep getting hammered with gender insanity in our world. And even in the Christian world, we've adopted like either a feminism or a 
because of all the wrongs that men have done over the years and the oppression that has come to ladies over the years, we rightly needed to come out of that to see women as equal. But then we've stopped there and we've said that women are equal and that means they're the same. They were all just the same. That, were, that, that humanity, to, to be a human is just to be a human. It doesn't mean be a woman or to be a man. But the Bible speaks to gender. And equality is so offensive because it strips the woman of her femininity and it strips the man of their masculinity and it says, you're just human. But God comes along and he bestows much more dignity than baseline humanity upon you. And young ladies in the room, God made you a lady and there is beauty in that and there is dignity in that. Men in the room, God made you a man and it is a good and noble call to be made a man. And it means something. And God calls specifically men to be elders of the local church. Now, God calls women to do other things in the local church, things that he does not call men to do. But this call is for men. It's for men. So Titus 2, for instance, God looks to women and he says some things to women and distinct things to women. And he does not allow men to do what he calls women to do. Because God has the ability to speak to both the male and female and say, here's how I've designed you. And here's the realm of authority that I've given you. But with this particular call of elder, God looks at the man and says, I'm calling you men to step up. Now, ladies, you need to know this, that you have been called to be church members. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. Your responsibility, ladies, although God does not call you to be an elder, God calls you to govern the preaching of the church. Let me tell you again what I said and then show you in the Bible. Ladies, God calls you to govern my preaching. You have authority of what's being preached here. You have a responsibility by God to be a theologian. In, Gen or in Galatians, it is interesting that in the book of Galatians, God holds the brothers and sisters in the churches of Galatia responsible for the false teaching. Not just the men, not the elders, the brothers and sisters. Who has bewitched you? Because ladies, being co-heirs with every man in this room, ladies, you aren't back seat in the ministry here. You're front and center. We saw that with the evangelist that Jesus told hey, Martha, Mary, you guys go and tell the apostles about the gospel of Jesus, that I'm alive. You won't be back row. This commission comes to you. Care about what's preached. You will be held responsible, ladies, for what you listen to. Equally with what men will be. What the church in Galatia should have done is they should have rose up and said, we won't stand for this Judaizing preaching. We will not stand for false teaching. And leaders, preachers in the churches of Galatia, you don't have a place here anymore. But they didn't. They were bewitched. They let the false teaching keep going. And God holds that church, held that church responsible for that. They have responsibility, ladies, to govern the preaching of the word. So know the difference between good and bad teaching. Also, Acts 18. In Acts 18, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife combo, come and they teach Apollos correct doctrine because he was underdeveloped. So when we say that he desires noble tasks, God calling elders, this isn't demeaning to women. It's just that God has the right to say some things to men that he doesn't say to women. And God has the right to say some women some things that he doesn't say to men. And restrictions are given to both genders and commissions are given to both genders. And we need to know what those are so we don't look at God and say, well, that's sexist. 
But for this task, the tall call of elder, Jesus looks at men and says to us, this is for you. And it's noble. And it's good. Men, step up. You know what this world needs? This world needs godly, humble men to step up and not say, come around me, I have all the answers. Godly, humble men, more of them, to step up and say, I'll lay my life down for you. Family, I will love you. I will serve you. I will sacrifice for you. I would die for you. And church family, I love you. I will sacrifice for you. I will care for you. I will not chomp you to bits. You don't have to gather around me. Let's gather around Jesus together. Ancient words, noble task, define present dignity. To answer God's call into the pastorate, what Hank did a few weeks ago is a step into a noble call. For the sake of time, let's move this through this quickly. Above reproach from 2 through 7, this kind of gets unpacked. This word above reproach, the overseer in verse 2 must be above reproach. And then that word reproach, if that could just be opened up, and could kind of vomit out its own definition. Everything underneath this is what it means to be above reproach. Everything underneath that is what it means to be above reproach. So self, sober-minded, okay, not, not or a husband of one wife, so not polygamous, a one-woman man, sober-minded. So the sober, an elder must be sober-minded, not reactionary, not a spring. You ever met somebody that's a spring? You say the wrong thing and just, and they unload. Sober-minded, self-controlled, knows how to discipline and control himself, respectable. An elder must be the kind of man that people look at and respect, hospitable. Not simply a commitment to fellowship, but a commitment toward outsiders. The one non-character qualification to be an elder is able to teach. Not just preach, but teach the Bible. Must be able to do this. The elder must not be a drunkard. Means he does not drink too much alcohol. He's not violent but gentle, an underdeveloped manly characteristic, by the way, gentleness. An elder must not be violent, must be gentle. Men, do you know what it means to be gentle? Gentle. The type A leader that's so often cast as the pastor is the one that runs around with a spiritual mallet, crushing everybody that's not as intense as him. But to be an elder is to be gentle with the sheep, to be tender, to care for, not quarrelsome, a man who's always on edge, ready to argue with anyone at any time. If you've been to the moon once, he's been to the moon twice, kind of person, not ready to be an elder, not a lover of money. A man who has a love affair with money is a man who's still living under a delusion. He's got to manage his own household well. Elders must take care of what God has entrusted to them, his family and his possessions. If they have children, the kids must be submissive. Not angels. Submissive is different than being angels. Thank the Lord that didn't say they've got to be perfectly obedient all the time. But submissive. Every kid is crazy. But it means they're not completely out of control. When you look them at the eye in the eye and say something to them, they may at first say, I don't care, Dad, or something. But you discipline them, and they know to respect you. If they have children, then, they must be submissive, meaning they're not out of control. Pastor's health is measured, pastoral health is measured, not how things are going at church first, but how are things going at home. If things are not healthy at home, the pastor's not pastoring well. 
So the barometer of pastoral health is the home, not first the church. Not a recent convert. He's not ready to, he's not ready to doubt what people say about him. The recent convert who's, high, who's got like high giftedness and aptitude, who gets positioned too early, when he hears how wonderful he is, he believes it. And he gets puffed up and he gets conceited and he's not ready yet to disbelieve what people say about him. Outsiders, then, a lot of recent converts, and outsiders should not be shocked to find out that an elder in the church, or that, that this person is an elder and leader in the church. I remember growing up, there was a guy that was an elder at the church, and I looked up to him. He taught me Sunday school. I started working at the lumber yard, and I found out that everybody hated this man. I mean, how in the world does this happen? A man I looked up to. Now, let me put this into practice. Here's the deal Jesus is the perfect shepherd. And I look at all these qualifications. And these qualifications matter. They lay down upon a life. And when I see it, I see areas that I need to grow. At any given time, those areas can describe our elders here. But here's what I know. I know that I desperately need and that leadership desperately need Jesus. And I want to wrap this up by shepherding the best I know how you. I want to put into practice the fact that Jesus is the lead shepherd and that I'm an under-shepherd here. And I want to show you in this last paragraph what my responsibilities are to you. Jesus is the lead pastor. He's been kind enough to give us all under shepherds, myself included, to guard us and to lead us to Jesus. And I want you simply to behold the kindness of Jesus in this. Don't blindly follow anybody. Follow people that are pointing you to Jesus. Gather around people that are coming alongside. Come to Jesus. That's what we need is Him, our lead pastor. We long to be elders at this church who shepherd you toward the chief shepherd. Our goal is not for you to buy into the vision of Christ Church Carbondale. Whatever you're going through, we want to bring you to Jesus. We want, to, we want you to drink from the rivers of delight of the gospel of Jesus. We want you to know Jesus who weeps with those who weep. We want to help you, work with you, counsel you, learn from you, submit to you, love you, point you to Jesus. But I will remind you of this. I will fail you. I promise you at some point I will. Our elders will fail. There will be times we don't get some things right. That's the risk of getting involved in any Christian community. You open yourself up to the possibility of pain. It's hard. It's hard. We'll work with you, counsel you, but we will fail you. I will fail you. We will mess up at some point. There's a possibility of experiencing, like I just said, pain in any community. But Jesus, hear this, hear me say this. Jesus will never let you down. He's your lead pastor. He will never let you down, ever. He will never let you down. He will never harm you. He will never mistreat you. When we sing about him here in a second, we're singing about our lead pastor. And he's tender with us. He will hold you fast. He will hold on to you in ways that no local church shepherds can. He loves you. He will never let you down. He is a better pastor than our pastors. He will never hurt you. He will finish what he started into you, and he will hold you in his mighty titan grip. He's not letting go. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness. Uh, we thank you that you are the lead pastor of this church and every church. For all those who have experienced pain in the past, God, I pray right now they'd use this as an opportunity to sing about their lead pastor and to get some healing. Maybe we've been in the room and we've put too much uh, trust in local, local leaders in the past. And we've actually treated them like Jesus. And then when we found out these leaders aren't Jesus, we got mad at them. 
Or maybe in the past, we've harmed others. And God, I know as I think about this and read through these things, I have not led as I should in the past. There are times that I was not loving enough, caring enough. And God, we just need your help. Thank you for your kindness that you shepherd your sheep. Help us as under-shepherds to shepherd your sheep in the way you would have us. And I thank you, God, that you have not left me without a pastor. Thank you, I'm not on my own. I'm just trying to figure this stuff out, and I'm just king around here. And God, I thank you that none of that is true. Thank you for giving me pastors. Thank you for me being given to a congregation that I get to submit to, that gets to hold me accountable for what I preach. Help us to sing to you, Holy Spirit, I trust that you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to pray about anything, you can come forward. I'd love to pray with you. Let's just uh, follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and let's sing to, let's sing to the Lord.